I want you, if you got your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 2. If you got a Bible app, you can use that as well. If you don't have either of those things, don't worry. You can cheat on the screens. We'll have them on there. But uh, if you don't have the Bible app on your phone, what are you waiting for? It's free. Come on. Okay, it's 2018. It's a free app. Get with the program. Um, I want to talk uh, today on, on the word clarity. And to set this up, um, while you're getting to John chapter 2, there was something that happened this week that you, uh, that you may have seen. Actually, you may have heard of it more than seen it. Um, it took social media by storm, and I would not be doing my job up on the stage if I didn't mention it today. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about, there are two very distinct teams in this room. You're either Team Yanny or you're Team Laurel, okay? And if you don't know what I'm talking people are already getting antsy. See how serious this is? This is a big issue. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about on social media this week, um, somebody posted this, this video of this sound. It was a word that was being spoken, and he couldn't figure out if it was Yanny or Laurel. They don't sound the same, but somehow on this audio clip, it did sound the same, and so he took to the internet, and it's been dividing households and causing divorces all week long. It's just amazing. So uh, real quick, I want to I find out who I'm talking to. If you're Team Yanny, let me see you. Come on. You're Team Yanny all the way? All right, yeah. Uh, what about Team Laurel? Come on. We're my Laurel peeps. Laurel are more vocal, apparently. All right. Um, if you don't, if, you, if you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about, I'm going to enlighten you real quick. We're going we're gonna to play the video. We're going to play the audio real quick. And just, just don't punch the person next to you. Go ahead and, go ahead and play it. Laurel. 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 Okay. How many of you are still Team Yanny? Okay. Yeah. How many of you are still Team Laurel? How many of you switched, and you don't know how that happened, but you switched? Okay, yeah. Um, I, I got some information here. I, I researched this out this week. And experts say if you hear Laurel, that chances are you are over the age of 30, or you are better at just hearing lower frequencies, all right? They also say if you hear Yanny, experts say that you're wrong. That's just it, <laughs> okay? You're just wrong, all right? Um, the person who created this video actually said it is Laurel. So it is Laurel. Uh, it's apparently he typed it into a program. It was one of those dictionary things where you, type, you, know, you can hear the word, how it's pronounced. And when he heard it through his computer, he's like, that don't sound like Laurel. And so he put it online for the world to vote, and the earth started burning. And so um, that's where we know. But it reminded me, as I was, I was hearing all this stuff and arguing with Lauren about this, it reminded me, about another video I saw recently. So I'm going to play another clip, and I want you to listen to this one as well. And I want you to see if you can figure out what this is saying. Okay, this is going to be a little bit more distorted, so, so check this out. Yeah, <laughs> this one's harder. Okay, I'm going to play it one more time, see if you can figure out what, the word, what it's saying. Okay, go ahead. All right, now... It would probably blow your mind. That is actual English words that are being said in that video. And it's actually saying a picture is worth a thousand words. That's what it's actually saying. Now, some of you are like, Craig, I don't believe you. That's Klingon. But it's not. It's English just distorted, okay? So what I'm going to do one more time. Now that you know what it says, a picture is worth a thousand words, I'm going to put it up on the screen again. You're going to hear it one more time. This time I'm going to put the words up on the screen as well. So go ahead and play this. See if you can hear it. Right? Right? It's amazing. Now, there's a scientific reason for this. I'm going to try not to butcher this as I read it, okay? Um, our brain has a very specific section in it called the Vernica area. 
And what it's doing is once you hear something, it's almost like once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Now, if we were to play this clip over and over again, the first time I watched this uh, was about earlier this week. Every time I hear it, I don't need the words anymore. I know what it's saying. It's because we have a very specific part in our brains that is telling us that that is language. That is what we are able to hear. And the trick is that once you see something, once you hear the actual words, it doesn't matter if it's distorted or not, you can have a clearer picture of it. And today when I talk about clarity, I want to land this into a spiritual application this morning by saying it doesn't matter sometimes what the world may throw at you. It doesn't matter the, the distortion of the promise that God may have given you. When you rely on the promise that God has, when you look at his word, when you're listening to God first, then you may hear distortion, but you'll be able to hear it more clearly through the lens of Jesus. It provides clarity. This is why the same part in your brain is the reason, if you ever go on Facebook and you're looking at, uh, they have those posts, if you can read this, you're smarter than 10% of the world population. First off, that's a lie. But it's those words that, you know, it's, it's a sentence, but the, the letters inside each word are jumbled up. You guys know what I'm talking about? That same principle applies to that. The reason that you can understand it is because of this Verneca uh, area in your brain. It's allowing you to read it as language because you know what the original language is. When you know the original word, everything else becomes clear. And so the application, again, is that so many times we hear something in our lives. So many times God may put a promise in your heart. So many times God may put something in your life, but it tends to be distorted. The world around us will distort the dream, the vision that God has for us. Maybe, maybe God has spoken a promise over your life. He's called you to do something, and the world distorts it, and you, or maybe your, your own self distorts it in a way that I'm not, I'm not worthy to serve. Yeah, okay, God's given me a promise that I'm going to lead people, but God, I don't think he remembers the stuff I've done. I'm not, I'm not worthy. I mean, everybody else is telling me you're not good enough to do that either. There's no way I can do that. Maybe you want to start a family, but the world and, and yourself, your own perception, distorts it and says, well, you're too old. The time has passed. You can't do that anymore. You're not able to do that. The, the moment has gone. Whatever it is, God is trying to speak clearly to us. He wants to provide us with the answers, though, even though it may be distorted by our view, he can provide clarity in it. So how can we have clarity in our lives? I want to use John chapter 2 this morning as a foundation to build on when we talk about this. Um, this is a very popular story in Scripture. It's Jesus' first miracle uh, in his public ministry. It happened at a wedding. Uh, no, not Prince Harry's wedding. Okay, that, that, that's not where it happened. See, if you're getting a student pastor, you're getting all the pop culture references, all right? Um, but this happened at the wedding in Cana in uh, John chapter 2, and uh, we're going to dive into it today. John chapter 2, verse 1 says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. I want to pause there for just a second and just say this. If you're wanting clarity in your life, you have to invite Jesus to the wedding. If you want the miracle to happen, you first got to invite him to be a part of it. There are a lot of times that we're just expecting Jesus to do something, you know, but we're not inviting him into our, our, our wedding. Right, let's go on. Uh, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, there is always something, I don't know about you, there's always something that goes wrong at weddings. Come on, married people, where are you at? If something went wrong at your wedding, I need you to show me. Raise your hand, make me feel like I'm not alone up here. Thank you. Um, for me and Lauren, it was the unity candle. All right? I hate that thing, okay? 
Um, the unity candle for us, if you're not familiar with the unity candle, it is where the husband gets a smaller skinny candle, the wife gets a smaller skinny candle, and then between them there's one larger candle. And you're supposed to light your candle, she lights her candle, and the, the two flames meet in the middle and light the one flame, some kind of Nicholas Sparks stuff, just, uh, just all coming together, two flames becoming one. Sure, it's beautiful, whatever. But it, it, it's not always perfect. It's, it's a flawed system. Um, because I lit my candle just fine. She lit her candle just fine. And then we met in the middle at the candle. And nobody really told us, hey, you're supposed to pre-light these candles. And so we sat there for what was probably honestly like 15 seconds. But it felt like 1,500 years in front of everybody we know just going, not doing anything. <laughs> Just a whole lot of nothing here. And after a little bit, yeah, that was funny and awkward, but after a few seconds, gravity and physics started taking over, and all the wax in the candle that was by that flame started to drip off of our candle and onto the big unity candle, and it dripped on the wick, creating like this flame-resistant, waxy force field around this wick, and not a flame was coming near it. It was just not happening at all. And so we sat there trying, trying. And have you, if you're married, you, you probably know this. You tend, you, you can have these like telepathic conversations with your spouse. You can have a whole conversation without even saying words. And we had our first one of those at our wedding during that moment of the unity candle. I remember looking, and I was looking at Lauren like, this is a sign. Our two flames are not supposed to be one flame. Should I run? I should just leave, right? And Lauren's like, no, this is happening. And the next thing I know, the bride is dipping her hand in the hot wax to adjust the wig to get it back out so we can light this candle and get this thing over with, okay? Now, the rest of the story was magical. It was a magical evening. We, after the wedding, we drove off in the sunset and got Chick-fil-A, then went to our honeymoon. It was an amazing night. But... It paled in comparison. That story, that mishap, that thing that didn't go right at this wedding paled in comparison to not having wine at this story. Not having wine at a traditional Jewish wedding during this time was a huge faux pas. Um, during traditional weddings at this, this period, uh, the groom and his family provided everything for the wedding. And all the fathers of daughters just went, can we get back to that, Amen. How? Um, and so the groom was responsible for, for, for providing all of the stuff. For, they usually hosted it at their home. They were responsible for taking care of all the food, all the accommodations, everything. And so it fell on the groom's family when this incident happened. When there was no more wine left, it fell 100% on him. What they would, some people say this was even grounds for a lawsuit. Like the bride's family could sue the groom's family because of this. And what would be said would be, it would hang over the groom for, for forever. It's just a lifelong thing. And what was said was, if you can't even provide enough wine for your guests at a wedding, how can you provide for your wife moving forward? So this was a big black eye on the groom and his family. And so Mary looks at Jesus and does the, the thing, only a mother can do this, can ask a question by saying a statement. I don't know how you do it, but you just are magical that way. Mary looks at Jesus and says, they have no more wine, a.k.a. are you going to do something about this? And she does the first thing that you have to do in order to have clarity in your lives, and that is she identifies the need. 
In order to have clarity in your life, you have to identify the need. You have to find the source of the problem. You gotta have to find the source. What is it that you're wanting clarified? What is the thing in your life that you really want clarified? Sometimes we, we put a facade, we put a fake exterior over the need that we think we need. We say, well, I, I just want to be happy. No, what's the real need? Do you want loving relationships? Do you want acceptance? What is the need that you have? Do you have to identify the need? Now, I've said this before. If you've heard me speak before, I'm a very visual person. And so I, I tend to like to, to read between the lines in Scripture Put, put, kinda, put myself in the story, put myself there, visually see what's going on. And I can just picture, the Bible doesn't give a lot of details about this story. We don't, we don't know who the couple was. We don't know um, many details about how they were connected to Jesus and Mary and the disciples. But I picture Mary and Jesus at the wedding. Jesus and the disciples are hanging out with some, some guys. They're talking, they're laughing, they're having a good time. Maybe they're debating on whether it's Laurel, Yanny, I don't know. They're just having a conversation. And Mary is over here. Maybe she's talking to the mother of the groom. She's talking, it's such a great day. We're so happy for you guys. And Mary's observant. If, any, if I have learned anything from Mary throughout Scripture, it's that she's observant. She's paying attention. After all, she, was, she carried the Son of God in her womb. I mean, this is somebody who had to have been observant for those 30 years, just watching Jesus, making sure everything was taken care of. She's an observant person. And so I picture Mary realizing something's not right. Maybe the groom and the groom's father run off to go check something. She looks at the table, realizes the wine's getting kind of low. Surely they have more in the back. She's understanding that there is a problem. She is identifying her need. And what happens in our life is that we tend to stay in that spot. We tend to say, there is a problem. I know there's a problem. There is something wrong. God fix it. God would just make it better. We don't ever bother to say, well, I wonder what, what is wrong. Let's dive deep. God, can you show me the area of my weakness? Can you show me the need in my life? Can you show me the areas that I need clarification in? We just want God to fix it. Let me give you an example. Say I handed you this piece of paper. This is a, I feel like a magician when I do this. This is an ordinary white piece of paper, okay? Nothing, nothing up my sleeve, okay? It's just a normal piece of white paper. What if I handed this to you and said, solve the problem? You would say, more, more questions, please. Um, I, I don't understand. What do you want me to do with this? I don't, I don't know. Is it math? Is it 2 plus 2 equals 4? Am I supposed to write something? Am I supposed to write an essay? Is it a one? Am I supposed to write, I am Groot? What am I supposed to do with this piece of paper? I don't know. And I actually did this, this illustration with some of our students one time, and we lined them all up here. We kind of made it into a game. I said, solve the problem. And they did the same thing. What? I don't, I don't, okay, I don't know what to do. And one kid actually wrote Jesus on it. I just, here. It's like, okay, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Okay, but, but that's not what I'm going for. Because until you know what the problem is, you can't write down the answer. And so what if I was to tell you the problem is we don't have enough paper airplanes in here? Then everything you wrote down would not have meant anything because you didn't have the right problem. We have to identify the problem. We could be sitting here writing this heartfelt essay. We could pour our blood, sweat, and tears into writing something. But if the problem is we need more paper airplanes, then you just wasted a lot of time. We have to identify the need. You can only solve a problem if you identify it. We're like, well, shouldn't God be able to just fix it anyway? Yeah, but God wants relationship with you. He wants to have a conversation with you. He is a father. He is a good, good father, and he listens to the needs of his children, and he wants you to talk to him. 
have a conversation with him, tell him our problems. So Mary identifies the need. And look at what Jesus says in verse 4. Woman, FYI, only the Son of God can call his mama woman and still have all the teeth in his face, okay? That's the only person that can get away with it. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Then his mother said to the servants, I love this, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. One version says it this way. Whatever he says, just do it. Whatever he says, just do it. Number two, having clarity requires action. Having clarity requires action. That that sentence, whatever he says, do it, is a two-part sentence. It starts with whatever he says. We can believe what he says. We can trust that what he says will come to pass. We can trust that what he says is good. It's pure. It's for my good. Jeremiah 29 and 11, I know the plans I have for you. He knows our plans. They're good. We can believe in what he says. But so often we leave out the do it part. God calls us to something. He calls us to take a step out. He calls us into doing something. He calls us into life. And we'll say, God, that's good. I believe in that. And then we don't do anything with it. I can't, if you're like me, I can't tell you how many times I've been to a, a service or a conference and I'm fired up when I leave. I'm just so full of energy. I'm so excited. I, I leave the conference. I'm just like, come on. I want to go up to the nearest hospital and just walk up to the executive level and kick down the president's door and just say, listen, you can just close up shop. Send everybody home. They're all about to walk out of here, okay? You don't need this hospital anymore. That's how fired up I am. But what happens when I walk out of the church, when I walk out of the conference? What do I do? Nothing. So many times I was like, That's a, that was a good quote, and I'll write it down, I'll put it in Evernote, and I'll put it behind me, and I won't look at it again until I think about it. Whatever he says, do it. If we don't do anything, it's worthless. James 2.17 says it this way, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead. You can have all the belief in God that you want to. You can have all the faith. You can put your faith in him. But if you don't take the step, then it does no good. It's not doing anything. So many of the miracles in the Bible, throughout Scripture, if you look through them, I challenge you, go back and look at Scripture time and time and time after again. They are, they are preceded by an action. There's a verb that has to take place in there somewhere. The, the Red Sea would have never parted for Moses had he not taken his, his stick and just smacked the water. There was an action that had to take place before the miracle could happen. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, he asked people to roll the stone away first. It was an action before the miracle. Jesus spit in people's eyes and then said, go wash. He constantly said, pick up your mat It was an action. There was something that had to be done. So let's look at what Jesus asked them to do here. Verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. They filled them to the brim. This is a very important piece in this scripture. I don't think anything is in the Bible by accident. There's not a, a, a word misplaced. There's not a, an accidental thing. This was not John just using creative license to write part of the Bible. I believe everything that was in here was in here for a purpose. And the reason I think it says to the brim is because John wants us to know this was not like half full. 
This was not, a, a, you know, a, a three quarters of the way full, enough for him to pour some old wine in there to water down the wine a little bit. This was not that, he didn't add Kool-Aid mix to this. This wasn't a magic trick. This was Jesus saying, fill it all the way up. This wasn't, these, these jars were not even used for wine. They were used for washing your hands. And Jesus said, I want you to use that so there can be no doubt, fill it up, and we're going to make something happen out of it. Then he told them, now draw some water out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. If you're taking notes, or if you've got your Bible where you can highlight or circle, I want you to circle or highlight, emphasize that, that phrase right there, the servants who drew the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. I love this story simply because it has so many layers to it. We always tend to focus on the miracle. Water to wine, that's amazing. He saved the day. He saved the wedding. He saved the family embarrassment. He saved all of these things. We focus on the miracle. But the Bible says the master of the ceremonies had no idea how they got the wine. Jesus wasn't doing this miracle to do a miracle. He was not doing this to be showy. He wasn't trying to attract a crowd. In fact, that's why he told his mother early on, my time has not come yet. The hour for me to do this, why are you bothering with this, me with this? It's not my time. That's why Jesus was saying that. Nobody else knew, but the servants knew. When we take what Jesus tells us and we put legs to it, <coughs> we take what Jesus tells us and we do something with it, it's less about the miracle and more about Jesus himself. In this story, the miracle was never about wine. It was never about the miracle. It was always about Jesus. Look at what verse 11 says. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And the disciples believed in him. Because of the actions of a few unknown servants, the disciples, the pillar of faith for a lot of us, the people we look to, the people we base messages around, the people we base our lives around, the people we look to as those are the champions of our faith, because of the act of a few unknown servants, the disciples believed, secured their faith in Jesus. You have to remember, this story, it takes place just days after Jesus has started his earthly ministry. That week, he had just started. He had just been baptized by, by John. He had just called his first disciples. At the wedding of Cana, he didn't even have all 12 yet. He had five or six. That's all he had with him. And so he was just getting started and, and I have to imagine if Peter was willing to deny Jesus after being with him over three years and seeing him do all the amazing things he did when, when he was being crucified, three days into it, I have a feeling some of them had some doubts. Had some of them that, there's no doubt in my mind they didn't believe that he was a great teacher, believe that he was an amazing person, believe that he was purposed by God to, to bring the word. But the Bible says his disciples believed in him. That was the moment. That miracle was the moment that his disciples believed in him because of the actions of a few unknown people. Their faith in Jesus was locked down. 
I wonder this morning, who is waiting on you to take a step? Who in your life is waiting on you to fill up some stone jars with water, even though you don't know why? Who is it in your life who's watching you, who's waiting to secure their faith in God based on the actions that you're taking? Who's waiting on you to do the things? Listen, there's a a great story. I love sharing this, and I've shared it with some of our other Real Life pastors across the state over the last few weeks. And it's just a really, it warms my heart as a pastor to hear this. But uh, a couple of months ago, we had one of our our students in real life posted a picture on Instagram of uh, just saying about this other girl, a girl who had had just graduated a couple years ago and just, just saying, hey, happy birthday. You mean so much to me. You're like a big sister to me. I look up to you. You've impacted my life. It's just the greatest thing. Just going on and on about this student, this former student, rather. And it just warmed my heart. I was like, that person made an impact in that person's life. And so I challenged them. They were, we were at internship this, this spring. And I challenged them. I said, okay, the way you feel about that person, it's your turn to do it to the next generation. It's your turn to look behind you. Who will be the person four years from now after you've graduated who will be posting pictures on Instagram saying, you are my role model. You are like a big sister to me. You're so influential to me. And we can apply that, and some of you adults in this room are going, yeah, that's easy for students to say, but parents, you have no idea that your, your kids are always watching you. I don't have kids yet, but I'm around teenagers almost every day. And I can promise you, they are paying attention to what you're doing. They are watching you. And they're looking at you, and they're saying, are they filling up the stone jars like Jesus is asking them to do? Are they doing the things? Are they walking the walk? Or are they just talking the talk? They're watching you. It doesn't matter what age they are. They are paying attention to you. Even, listen, parents of teenagers, okay, even though they may say, I hate you, ew, whatever, okay, please can you just park four blocks away so I can walk by myself where I don't have to be anywhere near you. They know what your car looks like, dad, okay? Even though they may act like it, they are still watching you and they are paying attention. What you do matters in their life. Trust me. And they're watching you. Are you following the footsteps? Are you putting action behind the words that you speak? Are you putting action behind what Jesus is asking you to do, what God is calling? Are you fulfilling the call God put on your life? They're watching you. Maybe you don't have kids. Listen, friends, coworkers, family members, best friends, um, it doesn't matter. Listen, if you're a single person in here, your future spouse may be looking at you waiting to see if you're, a, if you're willing to follow Jesus. If you're willing to take those steps, do those things, people watch. We have to do something. Number three, I'm wrapping up. Clarity is found in the common. Clarity is found in the common. I want to back up a little bit and look at verse six. Verse six says this, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial ceremonial washing. I've read this story I don't know how many times, and this is, that, that's a verse that you just whiz by. That's just, okay, that's one of those details that are in there. But like I said, I don't think anything is in there by accident. Six stone jars. Absolutely ordinary jars. There was nothing special about these. I'm not going to pull a 180 on this message and say, they were actually magical stones. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. These were ordinary, average, plain chain. Chances are every person who was at that wedding walked by those 
jars and just didn't even think twice about them. They used them for washing their hands. That's where they left their dirt. Before they ate a meal, they would wash their hands in it and leave whatever was on their hands in those jars. Common, ordinary, in households everywhere probably. Nothing special at all. But Jesus used them to make a miracle. And this is textbook Jesus. If you think about it, Jesus should have come to earth in a big show. He should have made a grand entrance. He should have just split the sky wide open, crown on his head, coming in on a big old white horse, just flying through the atmosphere to make a big spectacle. To be really honest, I was thinking about this last night. Jesus should have come in 2018. Think about it. We are in the social media age. There is information overload everywhere. If Jesus wanted the entire world to know he was here, this would have been the time frame to do it in. Can you imagine Jesus splitting the sky wide open in New York City? Millions of people watching it in person going, what in the world is that? Okay. How many people would have gotten their phones out right away and started tweeting it? You'd see a boomerang of Jesus coming out of the sky just, just like this over and over again. Billions of people immediately seeing it happen. But Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he came as a small baby in a shed in the middle of nowhere. Jesus is not here. He's not coming for the show. His first miracle, the first miracle that he performed in his public ministry came in a town you can't even find on maps. At a wedding of a couple we don't even know the names to performed by using servants who used stone jars that were used for washing your hands. Jesus, this was textbook Jesus. And my question today, and I hope you get this, if you're looking for clarity for anything in your life, is it possible that you could be missing clarity for the things you're searching for because it's hidden in the common things in your life? How many things in your life are you passing by? Are you walking right by? There's this old joke, I'm sure you've heard it, where this guy is stranded on a desert island in the middle of the ocean, and he's like, God, I need you to save me from this. And God says, okay, I'll save you. I will rescue you. Thank you, God. The dude comes up in a rowboat. Hey, you need a ride? No, God will save me. Big cruise ship comes by. Hey, you need a ride? No, God will save me helicopter comes up, drops a ladder, says, hey, come on, I'll take you to safety. No, God will save me. Dude dies, of course, gets to heaven and says, why didn't you save me? Dude, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. Is it possible we are so caught up in looking for the spectacular, we're missing the obvious around us because it's hidden in the common things in our lives? There's a story in 1 Kings the prophet Elijah is on the run. He's running from some bad people. He's hiding out. And God speaks to him and says, I want you to go outside. I'm going to pass by. I'm coming your way. So he goes outside. And the Bible says that a huge earthquake rocked the ground. Now, again, I'm visual. So I'm picturing trees are snapping into the earth shaking. It's splitting open right down the middle. Cracks everywhere. Rocks falling. Maybe Elijah himself gets knocked to the ground. And he's crawling around. He's freaking out. He's like, surely God's here. God, are you here? Nothing. Crickets. Because God wasn't in the earthquake. 
Next thing, a hurricane force wind is ripping through that area. Trees are getting uprooted and just tossed like candy bars. And he's, he's barely holding on. He gets thrown off of his feet against a rock wall or a tree. And he's getting crushed. He's like, God, is this you? And still nothing. Then a fire breaks out. Maybe lightning strikes the ground right next to him and blazing fire all the way around him. And he's running for his life and he's trying not to get burned. And he's, he's like, surely, God, you're in the fire. But still nothing. And after the fire comes a whisper, just a gentle whisper. And it was God speaking to him. And he asked him the question, what are you doing here? I think so often we're looking for the big bang, we're looking for the show, we're looking for the lights, we're looking, we're hoping to open up the Bible one day, put our finger down, come on, y'all know you've all done it before, look it down and say, that's what I needed to hear, go to this college, take this job, that child is your favorite, okay, cool. And we're looking for specific answers, we're looking for clarity because we want the wow, we want the big loud sign from God. But God is whispering right next to us. I think there's a reason in 1 Peter it talks about that the enemy comes at you like a roaring lion. And I think there's a reason the enemy comes roaring at you and God whispers to us. And it's because the enemy, he can't get close enough to us to whisper. So he has to roar He's got to get as loud as he can so he can try to intimidate us. He's roaring as loud as he can to try to strike fear into us. But God is so close to us that all he has to do is whisper to us, you're mine. I've got you. You want clarity? I'm right here. Just listen to my voice. I want you guys to bow your heads with me this, this morning.